Willkommen in Berlin. Hello and welcome to Berlin. This is City Breaks Berlin, episode 11, More Berlin Art. I'm Marion Jones and after last time's episode, where I introduced the idea of seeing some art in Berlin and focused on the three biggest galleries, this time we're going to do the best of the rest, if you like. A couple of specialist museums and then lots more suggestions for other galleries to visit, a take on modern art in Berlin, something about street art. All designed to round off the topic. So, to start with then, I want to highlight one artist very linked with Berlin who has a museum dedicated to her in Charlottenburg in Berlin, and that's Kette Kollwitz. Perhaps you already know quite a lot about her, perhaps you haven't come across her at all, or perhaps most likely you are aware that the statue in the middle of the Neue Wache, that monument in Berlin that's the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, and the National German Monument to All Victims of War, the one that is largely a large empty room, but with a very moving statue in the middle of it, called Mother and Her Dead Son. So that statue is an enlarged version of one of Ketakolwitz's pieces of work. She was best known during her lifetime for her drawings and her prints, very compassionate pieces, often an unsettling look at the human condition, people living in poverty, facing hunger, and most particularly, war. I think it is fair to say that if you've seen any of her drawings, you are going to remember them, because they are very powerful and moving. So, Keta Kolwitz was born in 1867 in a town which at the time was called Königsberg, but which is now Kaliningrad in Russia. She first came to Berlin as a young woman to study art, and it became the city where she spent most of the rest of her life. She married Karl Kolwitz, a doctor, who treated the poor in Berlin, and through that she got to know many of them. Often they featured in her work, and they gave her an interest in the topic more generally too, such that her first major cycle of works was something called The Weavers, which was based on the oppression of Silesian weavers earlier on in the 19th century, a set of pieces which highlighted the poverty in which they lived. Another series she did was called Peasant War, going much back earlier in time to the 1500s, when peasants took up arms against feudal lords. And so, yes, they were historical pieces, but people felt too that really they were saying something about living conditions in the Berlin of her day. She did a very much noted series of posters in 1912 for an exhibition, but instead of highlighting the things that were for sale in the exhibition, she put her focus onto the living conditions of the mainly women, and very poor women at that, who were home workers in things like the cloth and garment industry, and the conditions in which they lived. So there were sketches representing child hunger and illness, messages about insufficient rights for these women. So hard-hitting were the posters that the Empress herself ordered that they should be removed from the advertising columns before she would visit the exhibition. Keta Kolwitz herself spoke of her work, saying she wanted to portray, quote, the burden and tragedy of the depths of proletarian life. And particularly a little later in her life, War became a major theme too, especially as, a few days after World War I broke out, her youngest son Peter had a discussion with his parents, saying he wanted to sign up. They were reluctant, but felt they shouldn't stop him from doing as he wished. And then, only a few weeks later, in early October 1914, Peter, or Peter, was killed in Flanders. One of her best-known works is a statue called The Grieving Parents, 
which she worked on all through the 1920s and which was completed in 1932. She also did a lot of work, woodcuts mainly this time, to support a movement in 1930s Germany known as Nie wieder Krieg, i.e. No More War. Again, powerful and effective, such that the Nazi regime in the end forced her to leave her teaching position in the art college and had all her work banned, removed from museums. Unlike many other artists, she declined to leave the country. By the time World War II broke out, she was in her late 70s, and there was more tragedy to come because her husband died in 1940 and her grandson Peter was killed on the Russian front in 1942. It's completely understandable then that in the last few years of her life, the 1940s up until her death in 1945, she was radically anti-war. People, she wrote, have been pushed as far as they can endure. Germany's cities have been turned into piles of rubble, and the worst thing is that this war already contains the next war of retaliation. That was a sentiment, I think, expressed by most people who'd lived as adults through both World War I and World War II and which she summed up by saying, I am wholeheartedly in favour of a radical end to this madness. So, in many ways, an unhappy life, although she did write in, I think it was 1926, the following. There are three things important to me in my life, that I have had children, that I have had such a faithful companion, and my work. And turning then to her work, and what of it you can see in Berlin today, certainly, the most noticeable piece is the Pieta at the Neue Wache on Unter den Linden, a piece which, in 1993, following German reunification, was personally selected by Chancellor Helmut Kohl. He wanted the Neue Wache to become the central memorial of the Federal Republic of Germany to the victims of war and dictatorship. There is an unknown soldier buried there, along with the remains of an unknown victim of one of the concentration camps. If you stop to look at it, you'll see it's a big, largely empty room, quite dimly lit, and there, right in the middle, sits Mother with her dead son, an elderly lady, mourning over the body of her adult soldier son, whose head lies in her lap. About this piece, and in fact about her work in general, one critic wrote, Kolwitz's art attempted to save mankind's image in an epoch of contempt for humanity. And the other place to go is the Ketterkowitz Museum, newly opened in 2022, in Charlottenburg. I'll put the link in the show notes. I'll be writing about the museum in the blog post to accompany this episode, along with some examples of her work, which comprised several thousand drawings, about 300 prints and posters, and about 40 works of sculpture. And you can see a range of all of those things in the museum. The founder of the original museum, it's moved to new premises just recently, but it was founded in 1967, I think. And he wrote at the time about her wide range of work, encompassing both the serious themes of life, suffering, hardship, death, hunger and war, but also the absolutely joyful light elements. There is a selection of pictures of her work available online. Again, I'll put the link for that in the show notes. And I think it's important to finish by stressing how well known her work is in Germany how it's perhaps not nearly as well known as it should be in the rest of the world, and how immediately impactful it is. Here's another critic on that topic. Keta Kolowitz is undoubtedly one of the most important women of the last centuries. Her art is one of a kind, 
and bears all the hallmarks of genius. Her language is understood by people of all tongues. So do go and have a look either on the City Breaks website or on the online collection or of course, best of all, in Berlin itself. Moving on then from an artist to an art movement, this one I think a little better known outside Germany and that's the Bauhaus movement. And in Berlin there is, usually it's closed at the moment until I think 2025, but usually there is the Berlin Bauhaus Museum. They too have a collection of pieces online at the moment, but when the museum is back open, you should be able to enjoy a selection from the million or so objects they possess. Paintings, sculptures, photographs, models, plans, and actual things, everyday objects, plus archives of all kinds. And here, a little extract from the website, easily findable online, which outlines their approach. Quote, Our collection and archive are an inexhaustible source of inspiration. We tell of the artistic and creative ideas and works of the people who taught and learned at the Bauhaus. Should you be wondering what the Bauhaus movement actually was, a handy definition I read somewhere was, it was arguably the single most influential modernist art school of the 20th century. It was all pretty radical at the time, namely the early decades of the 20th century, They produced products, they had a particular approach to teaching, they had their own philosophy about the relationship between art and society and technology. They were influenced by things which had come before, so the art and crafts movement, for example, and the Art Nouveau, or as it was called in German, Jugendstil, artists, and they took it all further. The movement didn't originate in Berlin, so in 1919, for example, Walter Gropius founded the Bauhaus in Weimar as an art school, and that can be seen really as the beginning. So there was a focus on new forms of building, leaving the imperial era behind, designing new pieces for a new era, things that don't sound as radical now as they would have done then. So cubic designs for buildings, for example, flat roofs, large expanses of glass so that the inside and the outside would seem to merge together. And a focus on production of smaller things too, aiming to make them functional, everyday products, but which were well designed and affordable for everybody. You can imagine that the National Socialists didn't think much of this. In fact, in the early 1930s, they forced the closure of the original Bauhaus school, which moved then to Berlin in 1932. Unfortunately, they didn't last very long there either. They came under attack as being a Soviet communist ideology. There was a move to get Nazi sympathisers on the faculty, something which those who worked at the Bauhaus refused to accept, and so they voted to close the school. Quite a number of both pupils and teachers emigrated to the States, and that explains then why the Bauhaus movement was influential in America for decades after that. But they regrouped after the war, and slowly, slowly, by 1979, the Bauhaus archive was opened. And that's the place that, as soon as it reopens after its current refurbishment, you can visit. I did manage to see it a few years ago, in its old premises, and, let me see, my memories centre really around plain wooden furniture, which was taken very seriously. So, for example, there was one chair mounted up on a table as an exhibit, as if you weren't meant to just sit on it, you were meant to look at it and think about the cleverness of its design and its visual appeal. 
There is a collection of works available online. I'll put the link for that in the show notes. 500 or so pieces from all the different areas. So you can see pieces of furniture and examples of ceramics. There are lots of photographs of buildings that they designed. There are quite a lot of household utensils. Tea and coffee sets, for example. Very plain, simple shapes. They look quite futuristic even today, but then you have to pause and think they were made in 1929 or thereabouts. There are examples of textiles which Bauhaus artists designed. Samples of quite heavy woven cloth in plain colours. A lot of use of natural fibres, so wool and hessian. There's an example of a vantbehang, or a wool hanging, a sort of a collage with squares, rectangles, triangles in different fabrics, slotted together to look, I thought, vaguely like a house and a garden, muted colours, a bit of an idea that maybe they'd been self-dyed. And there's quite a lot of material on display from the archives too, so correspondence between members illustrating their thinking and how it developed. And lastly, I wanted to mention one building in Berlin, which again, if you see it, you're not going to forget it, which is an example of this style, and that is the Neue Nationalgalerie, designed by the Bauhaus architect Mies van der Rohe. I think it's true to say that it was the only building he designed in Europe after he'd emigrated to the US. I mentioned it, I believe, on last time's episode. Quite a disorientating building. Absolutely enormous. When you get inside, what you see is an enormous interior empty space where most of the walls seem to be windows. So that blurring of the indoor and the outdoor that I mentioned a few minutes ago. I found it quite disorientating because I'd come to an art gallery and I couldn't see any art, but I worked out eventually that that was all downstairs. And since I'm probably not explaining it all that well, here's a quote from a critic about the building, which, although it went up in, I think, the early 1990s, when museums generally were being reorganised as the city came back together and was no longer east and west, so despite that, it fitted into the continuum of Bauhaus design. Quote, The architect's long-term preoccupation with creating fluid open spaces culminated in the design of the glazed upper pavilion of the gallery, with its steel roof and gracefully austere architectural vernacular, the Neue Nationalgalerie not only stands as an icon of modernism, but as a testament to a visionary architect of the 20th century. So do try and go see. And moving on then to the rest of art in Berlin, if such a thing can be summarised in just a few minutes, the main thing I wanted to say really is the website to go to is www.visitberlin.de and then find your way to their art museum section where there are, I think it was about 60 suggestions. So yes, definitely something about all the things I mentioned last time and so far on this episode, but lots and lots and lots more things. As usual, I do think that trying to mention everything will make for some quite dull listening, so I've picked out just a few examples in the hope that some people will be interested in the actual examples and everybody else will just get the idea of how much there is on this website to go and choose from. I think if you've only got a few days in Berlin and you want to see plenty of art, a little planning will go a long way to making sure that you get the selection that's just right for you. Okay, so a couple more just art museums. Um, There's the Akademie der Künste, so that means Art Academy, which is on Pariser Platz. 
i.e. just near the Brandenburg Gate, so somewhere you're likely to be passing, and which builds itself as having 300 years of tradition on show. There's a Henry Moore sculpture in the entrance, just to kick things off. It's the building where the Berlin Art Prize, the Berlin Kunstpreis, awards are made. It's a lively building generally, lots going on, films, performances, talks, exhibitions. Some of them in English, I think. So if you want to feel for what's happening in art in Berlin currently, that might be a good place to investigate. Then there's a big new Asian art museum as part of the Humboldt Forum. So that's on Unted in Linden, again, somewhere you're going to be anyway. And they have, as it tells us on the website, stuff from, quote, Chinese porcelain to Japanese paintings, exhibits from the 4th century BCE right up until the present day. So the key place in Berlin for Asian art. Then thirdly, there's the Brunn Museum, one of those museums named after the man whose collection it contains. One Karl Brunn, that's B-R-O with umlauts H-A-N. I'll put the link on the show notes. Where you can see a collection of objects from 1880 to 1940. So furniture, porcelain, ceramics, metalwork. Lots and lots of exquisite pieces that took this particular man's attention. You can here, according to their website, witness the playful ornamentation of Art Nouveau, the clear simplicity of functionalism and the refined elegance of Art Deco. Some of the display is in entire rooms so that you can see all the things that would have belonged together, furniture, decorations, etc. Everything from, quote, ivory-coloured sofas to curved writing desks made from exotic wood, somewhere where you can be transported back to an era of elegance and style. There's another museum in Dahlem in southwest Berlin, devoted to a different art movement. This one's called the Brücke Museum. Brücke means bridge. It's actually a bungalow where you can see the largest displayed collection of works by the art group known as Die Brücke. Paintings, drawings, watercolours, sculptures... A venue promising, quote, exciting and groundbreaking expressionist works in an idyllic location. Then there's the Georg Kolber Museum, another artist I perhaps could have featured individually because he was Germany's most successful sculptor in the first half of the 20th century. What you're seeing here is the actual artist studio, the place where he worked from the 1920s onwards and where today you can see his pieces some of them inside and some of them in the museum gardens, said to, quote, reflect the zeitgeist of Berlin as a centre of art at the turn of the last century. Some of the pieces are pretty large, don't actually fit in the garden, so just along the road from the museum is the Georg Kolber Hein Park, where some of his larger pieces are on display. And lastly then, in this section, I wanted to mention the Museum of Decorative Arts, called in German the Kunstgewerbe Museum, where you can see art and fashion, everything from, quote, Baroque Court Museum to Haute Couture. That's handily placed in the Kultur Forum, which you may well be passing at some point. Thinking about modern art, then, there are two or three places I've picked out to mention. The one that seemed to keep coming up is the Hamburger Bahnhof, which literally means Hamburg Station. But this is the Berlin version of the Hamburger Bahnhof, the centre of the contemporary art scene. It's one of those museums that's been set up in a former train station. That will sound familiar if you've been to Paris. And it's the place where you can see, for example, pop art, expressionism, minimalism, 
and not just see it, but learn about it because, quote, the museum will help you understand how each art form has developed. Paintings sit alongside sculpture, video, installation and photography. Another tip which I got from the Visit Berlin website is that a walk along Auguststrasse is a good idea because since reunification it's been a focus for contemporary art, a place with quite a few galleries dotted along it, exhibition spaces, often places where you can buy a piece of art to take home, home to places like, for example, the KW Institute for Contemporary Art. Gallery-wise then, there's also one called the Berlinische Gallery, right near where the wall used to run through, between the districts of Mitte and Kreuzberg, where on offer you will find, quote, all media, from photography to painting, installation to architecture, digital artworks. And lastly, as far as modern art is concerned, there's the Kindle, K-I-N-D-L, also known in English as the Centre for Contemporary Art. That's another of these reworked buildings. This one was a former brewery in Berlin-Neukölln. So a massive building which has lent itself to big pieces of art and art installations where also you might be able to see performances, paintings, other art forms. Quote, an exciting encounter between everyday culture and the art scene. And if you still feel there's time for more, or indeed if street art is particularly your thing, then in Berlin you really are in the capital of street art, perhaps. The whole world has seen the East Side Gallery, I think, that little bit of wall that I mentioned in a previous episode, which is still standing and which was decorated just after most of the wall came down, by German artists, yes, but other artists from other countries too, all in that heady spirit of freedom which ruled in Berlin in those first few years. So there's that, but for street art more generally, then yes, again, the Visit Berlin website, because they have a section on Urban Art Berlin, which opens like this. Urban art not only changes the image of the city, the lettering, tags and murals are always also an expression of the current zeitgeist. People have been spraying and tagging in Berlin since the 1970s. It may have begun as an expression of protest, often by young artists, but it's become an established art form. Quite a number of famous artists have made their way to Berlin to leave a piece of street art there. And the Visit Berlin website has picked out, wait for it, 18 different places where you can find murals, sometimes just the one, sometimes a collection. And they've put it all together on a story app, a highly useful map with all 18 places labelled on it, and you can click on each for a description, so that when planning your tour you can work out which ones you really can't miss, and for each one also there's an idea of the top three works to look out for. So there are entries on, yes, the East Side Gallery and the Bernauerstrasse Gedenkstätte, so that's the Berlin Wall Memorial Site. But there are 16 others. Let me mention just one of them. Mauerpark, where the description reads as follows. Mauerpark, by the way, is just a little further on from the Berlin Wall Memorial Site, so quite easy to find. OK, so the description tells you the following. The border strip of the Berlin Wall once ran here. Today it is a recreational space for young people, families and others wanting to enjoy its green spaces. Alongside the amphitheatre and the large flea market, the Wall of Fame also contributes to the typical Berlin lifestyle that makes Mauerpark a very special meeting place. Here, at the Wall of Fame, young people can legally spray, tag and let off steam creatively. 
they find inspiration in the park itself, such as The Big Jump by Victor Ash at Oderbergerstrasse 57, or Snoopy and the Balloon. And then they list the top three murals that they would look out for, but you might decide to just go and wander yourself and make your own top list. Anyway, it's a very useful app, and if you're not sure where to start, surely must be the answer to that question. So that more or less wraps things up for today. My version of a tour of the galleries that aren't the big three. But do please remember that even though I have mentioned I think it's about a dozen places, there are 60 or so listed on the Visit Berlin website, which I really can't recommend too highly. Not just for art, actually, but for all sorts of other things. Whatever aspect of visiting Berlin you want to find out about, I'm pretty sure there'll be a section on that website for you to consult, whether you're going to follow it to the letter or whether you're going to just use it as a general get the idea and make your own plan. And then as far as City Breaks Berlin goes, we've turned a corner and we're on to new things. So the couple of episodes I've just completed on art in the city are going to be followed very soon by information on music and theatre and film in Berlin, a combination of a little bit of the most interesting snippets from history and some ideas for places that you could visit if you want to find out more about any of those things. Following that, there's going to be a special episode on Jewish Berlin, and then a series of episodes on places which aren't quite central Berlin, but which are nevertheless places you may well want to visit. Starting with the Summer Palace of Charlottenburg, which is just on the fringes of the city, really, and a couple of days out to the lakes and to Potsdam. Then I think the plan is to round off with an anthology episode, or possibly even two, collecting some bits of travel writing, history writing and literature which haven't fitted into any of the episodes I've done so far, but which I think really shouldn't be missed. And hopefully will give you some ideas for where to go next when City Breaks Berlin has finished. Do please remember that there are blog posts now to go with every episode as I'm putting them out. So if you want a written summary, if you want some pictures, if some ideas for further reading would be handy, or website links for all the places mentioned on the episode, then the blog posts is the place to look. You'll find them all under the blog posts tab at www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. But for now, das ist es, that's it. So let me just finish off by thanking you very much for listening. Vielen Dank fürs Zuhören and by saying goodbye until next time. Bis zum nächsten Mal. Auf Wiederhören. Musik